Um, well, I want to, I've got a message uh, for us this morning, and, and really I think it's going to spark, at least for me, uh, when, it, when I'm sharing over the next few, few, uh, few weeks, that um, a series on, on love. And God spoke to me a while ago, um, you know, if, in Revelation, uh, you know, John writes about our first love, you know, going back to our first love and and a lot of times I've heard that preached, and you may have heard that preached, that, um, you know, we've, it's talked about from the point of view of, of us loving God is our, is our first love. But the Bible actually says something different, and it says that we love because he first loved us. And, and so our first love is actually, firstly, a revelation of, the, of God's love towards us. And you can't love your neighbor unless you love yourself. So you can, and you can't love yourself unless you have a revelation of, the God, of God's love for you. It's not an arrogance thing, it's a confidence thing. But um, God, and I asked God the question, and, and we were kind of talking a little bit this morning about, about this. Um, and, you know, I think the reality is we have three geniuses dwelling in our mortal body. And I think as, as people of God, we, we probably need to, at times, learn to ask good questions and learn to shut up and listen a bit more, <laughs> if I can be honest. Is, you know, if there, was a, if there was a genius in the room and, you know, the smartest person in the room, you would want to ask them good, you'd want to ask them questions and then listen to what they're saying. And, you know, Jesus only did what he saw his father do. He only said what he heard his father say. And because he was in tune with 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 the, the love of the Father, and um, a bit, and so I asked God this question, you know, what does this whole first love mean? And He said, Liam, when He said I first loved you, He said, but then you died. You know, the the Christianity is we're died. Christianity is not, um, you know, us trying to die more to ourselves and become more dead. Christianity is dying once and then living, learning how to live the resurrected life. And so, and, and, and he said, so when you got born again, I was your first love. So he says, yes, you, the first love is I love you, but then it's also um, your love for me because I was your first love. If that makes, does that make sense? Yep, I'm yeah. asking these guys because you guys can't respond. Well, respond on here, respond on the comments. Um, and so, yeah, I want to I go into this a little bit and, and really, and my, my prayer is that this wouldn't just become a theological understanding, but it would become something that, that we've become. We become, you and I, it, believe it or not, and I'm going to clarify this statement, but you and I get to become the love of God to the people around us. And we get to, we're not God, we're not Jesus but we get to actually, um, you know, a, a, an apple tree doesn't try and doesn't have to try hard to produce apples. It's great. <laughs> it's, it's like an orange, and an orange tree isn't trying to produce apples. An orange tree is trying to produce oranges, and it, it doesn't have to try hard. It just has to yield into the fruit that it, the, the tree that it is, and it will naturally produce oranges. What is that, a carrot tree? Right, carrots don't have trees. They're in the ground. <laughs> Right. <laughs> but but it's like so often I think, you know, Christianity has been 
been, it's like, oh, you've got to, ch- and here's this phrase which I've, I've written down. Uh, let me just, um, <laughs> let me find it. You don't choose love. And I know often we talk in Christianity, oh, you've got to choose love. And there's an element to that. We have free will. We have choice. I, I, I get that side of it. But let me take it a step further. If you choose the person of God, you don't have to try to become love because you're, you're abiding in the, in the person of love. He is love. He is, he, love is a person. It's not a feeling. It's not an emotion. Those things can be attached to it, but love is a person. It's, it's God. Love, God is love, and we're going to look at that. And so when we choose him, we actually naturally produce love. We naturally produce the things that you've become. And so it's, it's like the apple tree isn't like, oh, I'm going to try and produce apples. The apple tree abides in the soil. It lets its roots go deep. It, it gets the fresh water and then it naturally produces what it produces. And I want to propose to us in, in Christianity that we, and, and I said this to our, our core team the other day, I really believe that we're going to go on a, on a trajectory of what it actually means to love God and have the love of God, believe the love of God for us, and then love others and love our, our community well. Because um, I think it was Dick Joyce, and I could be wrong on this, but I think it was Dick Joyce, he said, he preached on, on love for a year and one of his elders came to him and said, when are we going to change the topic? And he said, when we get it, <laughs> when we get this. And, and you know, Jesus... Um, Jesus came to, he came to love the world. For God so loved the world that he gave. Full stop, no question marks. And so for God so loved the world that he gave, you know, John 3, 16. And right now we're in a world, if, if, I'm just going to touch on this a tiny bit and then we're going to jump, jump into some other stuff. But um, the moment the created creates the definition of love, we actually distort the image of love. You and I don't get, we're the created ones. We don't get to create the image of love in our own definition. We don't get to define what love is. And we, we, love isn't a feeling, it's, it's, you know, like I said, love isn't a feeling, it's an emotion. But the moment you and I create love in our image and we worship, um, we worship either creation or the created more than we actually let the creator define what love is. You know, we don't bring him down to our level. We adapt to what he says is, is, is the definition. Does that make sense? I hope that makes sense. And so I, I just, I believe that uh, the moment the created create love in their image, we destroy the very nature of the one who created it. You know, the devil can't, oh, if I have, is there a bit of paper? Actually, if I can, uh, I don't want to use that. Just a little, just a sheet of paper. Hold on one sec. I'll use this. Um, if, if this is the perfect image of God, if this is a, a perfect representation of, of say, um, say marriage, right? The, the devil doesn't, the devil can't create, he's not that powerful. But what he does, he distorts, he, he tricks, he takes the perfect image of the creator and tries to distort it and pervert it 
And, you know, I, I, I believe that's why pornography um, is such a rampant thing because it's, it's actually a perverted image of the reality of marriage and intimacy with, with one another. And so it's, it's, there's, there's, um, it's a perverted thing of the actual truth. So what the devil does is he just takes, he takes a snippet of the created and he can't create. So he takes that and attaches it to, to that and tries to redefine and get us to redefine what marriage or what love or what in intimacy or what relationship actually looks like. And that's a distorted image then of the actual original design. I hope that kind of makes some kind of sense. So um, that's, and we have to change that to we have to let him uh, dictate what, what uh, love is, not we don't get to dictate what love is. So anyway, I hope that makes sense. Um, Grab your Bibles. We're going to read through three passages of Scripture. Uh, Hopefully we'll get there. But we're going to do a bit more of a Bible study this morning. Um, And I'm going to touch on these at a later date, but I'm just going to uh, allude to it this morning. I I personally believe that two of the reasons why um, the image of God has been distorted uh, in in our, as for, from Christianity's point of view, is one, I believe there are Christians that don't actually understand and know the covenant that they are in. That they, there's, that, that's number one, that we, we don't understand that we're actually in a new covenant. And, um, and Jesus was the exact representation of God. He's the perfect image of the invisible God. And so if you can't find it in the life of Jesus, you don't have a, a, an anchor to stand on and call it God. And so what, Christian, what we often have done is we've taken things from either the Mosaic Covenant or the Old Covenants uh, in the Old Testament and we try and bring them into the New Covenant and they're actually no longer valid. And, you know, you know things like, um, you know, this coronavirus is, is, is a judgment of God to teach us a lesson. It's like, that's just, that's just not God. That's just not who he is. You don't, you don't ever see Jesus doing that. You don't ever see Jesus kind of saying, hey, you know, this sickness that you have or this virus is, is a lesson from God to teach you to love me more. It, it's that you don't see that in the life of Jesus. And so because you don't see it in the life of Jesus, you have no biblical anchor to say that it's God, right? Because he was the exact representation of the Father. The mystery has been revealed. Jesus has revealed the, the, the true nature of who God is. And he just didn't bless any storms, he came to heal. He came to set free. He came to deliver. He came to come to destroy the root issue of sin. And he came to set the captives free. And so if there was a division in that uh, idea that Jesus was setting captives free, yet God was dishing out punishment for something, then you have a house divided, right? Right? So that's one issue. That's, I believe that's one issue why the nature and the love of God has been distorted is because we don't actually know we're in a new covenant. The new covenant got inaugurated on the cross, right? And so you and I are in a new covenant. We're going to touch on that another time um, briefly. But the second point, I believe, as to why uh, often the love of God is distorted, and we're going to have a look at this in a bit more detail, but 1 Corinthians 13 talks about it's the famous, it's the famous love chapter. Uh, and we're going to go there this morning, but um, is, is uh, 
the notion of the sovereignty of God, that God is in control of absolutely everything. And the very nature of love, love doesn't actually seek its own. So the very nature of love is actually not self-seeking. So it provides, like God didn't child-proof the garden, right? So God is sovereign, absolutely. He is king, lord, judge, ruler, supreme being, Abba, Father, you know, Jehovah Rapha, Jehovah Jireh. He's all of those things. Whether you believe he's all of those things or not, he's still all of those things, right? But God is not in control of everything that you and I do. He's not in control of everything that happens on the planet. He's in charge, but he's not in control. I'm in charge of my household, but I'm not in control of everything that my children do. Why? Because the moment you remove choice and free will out of the equation, it's not love, it's robotic. Because yeah, <laughs> love is... Love doesn't seek its own. Love doesn't try to control and manipulate and, and distort to seek its own agenda. Love thinks the best of others. Love does all this. We're going to look at it in 1 Corinthians. And so um, this whole thing of God, the, that everything that happens is God's will, his design, his purpose, his, his nature is actually not biblical. It's not a biblical, um, it's not a biblical truth. Now, God, he's God. He, he can do whatever he wants to do. He can, uh, you know, he can, he can, he writes the thing, you know, but, but he, he so that even John three sixteen for God so loved the world that whoever believes in him will not perish. He like, he left it. It's an open invitation, but it's an invitation. Same with Adam and Eve. He was like, hey, don't eat of this tree. You've got free reign in the entire garden. And here's my one rule. Don't eat of this tree. Right? That was his only rule. But it, it wasn't like a, um, hey, I'm going to stick a gun to your head. You must love me. It was like, hey, here's the rule. You're free. You're free to choose this. You're free to operate out of this. And obviously, we know, we know the outcome. So we're, I'm just going to touch on those two points just briefly. Ephesians 2, if you go there, and then we're going to go to 1 Corinthians um, 1 Corinthians 13. So Ephesians 2, we're going to start there. I'm just going to touch on these really quickly and, and then we're going to move on because this, this is not my main point for today. But um, So Paul is writing to the Ephesian church. It's a Gentile church. Now, no, Paul was a Jew uh, and was a, you know, a scholar. And he was you know, a Pharisee of Pharisees and he got incredibly, you know, for me, I love his conversion because to me, I, I often say to people, one encounter with the love of God can change anyone. It can knock Paul off his donkey and do a complete 180 to where he you know, became one of the greatest apostles the world's ever seen. Uh, but here in, in uh, Ephesians 2, he, and we're going to start down at, um, we'll start in verse 6. He's talking about the, the Jewish nation and he makes these number of comments and I want you to look at the word us, how many times he uses the word us. And then he transitions into and you also, talking about the Gentiles because he's writing to Gentiles. 
And this is, this is, I'm addressing kind of sovereignty and predestination and that whole deal a little bit um, this morning, just briefly. And so he raised us, verse 6, and he raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus, for by the grace you have been saved through faith. It's not your own works, right? So through grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no, no one may boast, for we are, his, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in him. All right, verse 11. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision. So that's Jewish Gentiles. So he's saying, hey, us and raised us up with him and us and we're seated. And we often read that and we, it, we, we talk about it as us. But Paul's writing this as a Jew. So he's saying, listen, the Jews, this was promised to the circumcision and the uncircumcision by which is made uh, in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise. Here's the thing of covenants that I'm talking about. Having no hope and without God in the world, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, who's that, the Gentiles, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us, who's us, the Jews, both one and has broken down in the flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself, listen to this, one new man in place of the two. Who's he, what's he talking about? Jews, Gentiles, one new man. So making peace and might reconcile us Jews, both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to who were far off, that's the Gentiles, and peace to those who were near, that's the Jews. For through him we both, Jews and Gentiles, have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows in a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Wow. So here he's like, he goes earlier on, he says, this has been predestined um, that we would be conformed into the image of God. And he's saying, yes, the Jews had the promise of God. And he, Paul builds this case and he starts to say, yes, us, we've been, we've been adopted in, we have this promise, the Jews had this promise, but guess what? You also now, as Gentiles, because we're all Gentiles, in, in, well, I am and everyone in this room is, um, well, you also now have been adopted into the promises that um, preached to those who were far off and those who were near also. And then if we skip down to verse 14, he, so he goes on, we don't have time to read it all, but he says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from every family. So he's saying now there's been the division of hostility has been broken down. He's created one new man. 
one new man in Christ, the new creation. This is the new creation. Now, every family in heaven and on earth is named that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love. So this is, the, this is our launch platform and we're, we're going to go to 1 Corinthians 13. So let's go there. All right. All right, we know this one. You guys good? <laughs> good. All right, if I, verse one, if I speak in tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. So I want us to read this now. We're going to read it once through, but I want us to read it with the lens of these are things that we actually have, not things that we, um, often I've heard it preached as like, you know, it, it gets spoken of, of like, oh, well, you can have, you, you can, you know, pray, or you pray in tongues, and, but oh, if you don't have love, and you do the miracles and you don't have love, and it's like, it's, it's, it's used as a verse almost to lower a standard of living in Christianity that is like, well, you know, we, we don't have these things because we supposedly have love or, or whatever. But it's like, it's, no, no, these things are what we have. And now we, if we, and we're going to see what they, they come to and we learn to abide in them and they work hand in hand together, <laughs> right? So if I speak in tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And, and Paul's, the Corinthian church were just, they were like messed up in terms of air. They were like miracles, signs, wonders, you know, sleeping with each other. There was just great, they had just crazy understanding and crazy doctrinal thoughts. They thought there was multiple gods, polytheism. So Paul's addressing that and he's saying, okay, verse two, and if I have a prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge and if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with truth. Right, love, love isn't, let me pause there, love isn't just um, I accept, I, I condone everything that you're doing. That's not what love is. The amount of times Jesus said, now go and sin no more, was quite a lot. You know, the, he, he wasn't like, oh, well, that's okay. He, you know, you can do that. No, God is jealously avenging anything that stands in the way of his perfect love. He jealously goes after that thing. Because why? He knows if the design is distorted, that that's not the, perf the perfect love that he has for humanity. And so he jealously, he jealously wants to avenge that. He's, he's pursuing that, not, not out of a condemning place, not out of a pointing the finger, and not out of a you should change your behaviour, 
Because why? Because <laughs> sinners sin. <laughs> that, that's what, that's what we, we were all sinners and that's what we naturally do. We naturally produce that fruit. But here we saw we've become saints, Ephesians 2. We've been brought into the commonwealth. Our nature by faith, we've been saved through grace. The sin issue gets dealt with and it gets planted in and you naturally start to produce the fruit of your father, right? Um, verse 7, love bears all things, believes all things, hope all things and endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. There will be a day when that happens. As for tongues, they will cease. Yep, that will happen. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child and I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish, childish ways. For we now see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. And then listen to verse 1 of chapter 14. Pursue love. And then he says, and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. I love it. He's like, if you, if you prophesy but you don't have love, he's like, it's just pointless. It's like you're a clanging cymbal. You're a noisy gong. It's irrelevant. And then he finishes this whole chapter and then he's like, oh, by the way, guys, I want you to pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. He's like those things that you have that if you don't have love are actually pointless. He's like, they're actually valuable. They're really valuable, but they need to be married with love. It's not one or the other. You know, I, 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 this is a little, just a, 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 thing, a pet uh, a niggle that I, I have where people say, you know, it's love God, then it's love your family, then it's the church, then it's your work, then it's your friends, then it's this, and there's this list. And that's not how God works. He's like, seek first the kingdom, and then all these things get added. It's like, if you're loving your family, that's seeking the kingdom. If you're working unto the Lord, that's seeking the kingdom. It's not like this order. It's like, put God first. Christianity is not saying no to a hundred things. It's saying yes to a person. Okay. So pursue love. He says, pursue love, pursue it. So 1 John 4, let me tie this all together. I need a drink of water. <clears throat> all right. <laughs> How are we going? We got comments coming in, people watching. Yep. Cool. Three watches. Well, there's a bit more on mine. <laughs> All right, verse 1 John 4. Verse, we'll start at verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God. Well, you and I have been born of God. And knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. That God, okay, how was the love of God made manifest among us? He gives us the answer. 
that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. I can never say that word, propitiation for our sins. Right. So you remember when God, you know, when Jesus says, you know, they, the man says, "What's the greatest commandment in the law?" And he says, "Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and and you know, and um, and love your neighbor as yourself." He 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 says, "What's the greatest commandment in the law?" And what is it? It's something we work up and and conjure up. Love the Lord your God. Love the neighbor. Love heart, soul, and mind. But in John thirteen, he he says, Jesus says, "A new commandment I give you." Love others as I have loved you. So he eradicates that one and he gives us a new one because we're in a new covenant. And what is, that's what John's saying here. John's saying, um, it, you, can't, you can't love God unless you know you've been loved by God. You can't love others unless you know that God loves you. That's what he's saying. Um, so God sent his only son that we might live through him in this love not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Yes, got it. Beloved, verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God if we love one another. God abides in us. Here, this is, this is, the, this is the kicker. God abides in us and is, his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us. That should wreck you that the creator of the universe thought it's a good idea, knowing full well that we're going to get it wrong and mess it up at times and completely miss the mark. But he's like, I'm going to make my home inside of my creation. That should ruin you forever. That the God of the universe decided that I'm going to abide inside of my created beings, even when they're totally missing the mark. I mean, I'm, I'm going to abide in them. You know, um, we were talking about it this morning. It's like God, it, God doesn't have a relationship. He is a relationship because he has God, he has the Holy Spirit, and he has Jesus. And there's this perfect circle of love. I think it was C.S. Lewis that had some uh, we were talking about this morning and it's like god is love he doesn't choose love he naturally produces that fruit he doesn't have to be like hmm should i love them this morning he's like no i'm inside them i love them he do you know what he loves your worst enemy while he was hanging on a cross jesus is like dad they don't actually understand what they're doing He's like, Father, forgive them. They don't have a clue as to what they are doing right now. He's like, Father, no, no, Dad, hey, Dad. The judgment of sin has been paid for now. They don't have a clue. It baffles me when Christians, they're like, these sinners should be judged. Yep, that's what happened on the cross. Jesus took on the judgment of sin. He paid the price of sin. The wages of sin is death. It's not, it's not, the, the, it's not the fiery darts of God is death. 
It's the wages of sin is death. And Jesus is like, I've taken that on so there can be a doorway back into right relationship with God. While we were yet sinners, it says he died on a cross. He looked down at humanity and he said, those people that I created are worth my blood and worth paying the price for so that my father and them can have a relationship the exact same way that I have a relationship with my father. Whoa, that is glory on that. I can feel his presence. I really can. Ah. Okay, 12. Uh, No, where are we? 13. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. And when we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Saviour of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. You have the Spirit, you have God, you have Jesus in that picture. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. Verse 16. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. Now, this, these ver- next few verses we know very well, but that's the backstory to what you and I now. So let's, if I can put this all together, and this will tie it in. We've been brought into the covenant of God. We've been brought into the promises of Israel that you and I now have been grafted into the vine. We've been grafted into the tree the tree of life. That's Jesus. You and I have been grafted into not the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We've been grafted into the tree of life. We're in the covenant of love. We're in the covenant of God. Love does not seek its own. You can pursue all of these things, but if you don't have love, but remember we read 1 Corinthians 13, with, we have all of those things. Love is you know, patient, doesn't seek its own. So love is not self-seeking. All of those things that we read out, And then here he unpacks 1 John 4, you know, God is love and he abides in you and he's in you and he first loved you and all of this. And then he says um, in verse 17, by this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. How how do we have confidence for the day of judgment? Because as he is, glad you asked, (laughs) because as he is, so also are we in this world? Let's read it again. Because as he is, who? Jesus. So also are we in this world. Jesus isn't up there biting his nails, worrying about what's going to happen. Why? Because when you, when you know and you have the confidence of love, and it doesn't seek its own, right? It doesn't matter if you're having a conversation with someone and they're like, they don't, <laughs> this is, might be news to some of you. Love doesn't mean agreement with everyone. Love isn't, I, we live in a world right now where it's like, I, I, if, unless you agree with me, agreement equals love. And that's not true. I can love someone who has a completely different um, 
worldview, com completely different ideology, completely different world stance, completely different political view, completely and I can look at them and say I love them because they're created in the image of the one that created them, regardless if they know him or they don't know him, they're still created in his image and we get to produce, but I'm telling you, it doesn't come from I've got to try harder, slog my Bible more, read the scriptures more, those things are all good, but they just become byproducts of the one we abide in. Right? When we abide in him and as he is, so we are in this world. And we start to realize that, I think it was in Corinthians, it says we look in a mirror dimly. We look in a mirror, you become like the one you behold. So when you behold him, you look like him and then you just naturally produce love. And I can't remember who said it, but I wrote this down. Um, oh, actually, let me finish this verse then, last thought. Um, so we have confidence as he is, so we are in this world. Verse 18, we know this verse so well. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out some fear. Nope, all fear. There is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out all fear. For fear has to do with punishment. Fear has to do with punishment. That's why it grinds my gears when Christians are like, this is the punishment of God for your sinful actions. No, we're in a different covenant. <laughs> God's not doing that anymore. Jesus paid the price for sin and fear, punishment has to do with fear. And fear has to do with punishment. God isn't punishing that. Sin, sin in and of itself uh, brings about death. Yes, he's judge. I'm not removing God as judge, right? He's the judge, not me and not you. But we're in a different covenant. We're in the covenant of for God so loved the world that he gave. We're in the covenant of for God so died on a cross. God incarnated as a human being, died on a cross to destroy the power of sin, death and the grave so you and I could actually come into right relationship with God again. It's, it's, it's like this notion of, and that God's causing this to happen on punishment of God. It's like, no, he, the fear has to do with punishment. And I, I wrote this down. I, I, didn't, I didn't quote it. I can't remember who quoted it. It says, when perfect love casts out fear, we actually have self-control. So we don't actually mind the circumstances around us. We're not, let, let me say that again. Perfect love casts out fear, which means we have self-control. So we're not actually affected by the circumstances around us. Why? Because we have self-control. The circumstances around us don't dictate and determine how you and I live out our life because as he is, so we are to the world. Perfect love casts out fear. Fear has to do with punishment, right? And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Verse 19, we love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, who, whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. What, what's, what, that whole passage, 1, 1 John 4, what's the point? The point is we're not choosing love. We're, we're abiding in a person. And then we naturally, love naturally out, out works. 
And he's not condemning. He's not saying you don't know God or anything like that. He's saying if that's not manifest, that fruit isn't manifesting in your life, you're not letting the perfect love of God transform you to you to, into the point of actually outworking that love. It comes out of it comes from belief. The law of liberty, the law of freedom, the law of love. That's what it comes out of. It comes as he is, so we are in this world. Okay, if if that's not manifesting in your life, if love is not manifesting in your life, then what's the answer? Learn to abide in him. That's the answer. Learn to abide in what you've become. It's the John 15, abide in me, let my words abide in you, and you will produce much fruit. But Christianity has been focused on the fruit rather than on the root. Christianity for too long is like, try and band-aid the fruit. Hey, you got to just, you got to love more. You got to do this more. You got to do that more. And it's like, actually, if you realize that as he is, so you are to the world, as he is, right? Okay, who's Jesus? Let's find out what he's like. Oh, he's like this. Oh, he's not punishing. He's not condemning. Sinners loved him. Why? Because he was known as a friend of sinners. He was known as a friend of sinners. He challenged the religious, but he was known as a friend of sinners. The woman caught in adultery, he's like, he's like, who condemns you? Neither do I. He wasn't punishing her. That's what the law did. He's like, he came to abolish the law. We're in a new covenant. My faith, I've been watching The Chosen. I watched it again the other day. The woman at the well. Man. Oh, man, I just watched that scene, the woman at the well, I just cried again, I've seen it again, where she's, he's like, if you knew who I was, you would ask me for a drink. And then he's like, You've, go and bring your, husbands, your husband. She's like, oh, I don't have, I don't have, he's like, you're right. You've had five, you're with a sixth, and I'm the seventh. What's the point? Jesus was the, seven's the number of completion. Seven days, created the world. It's the number of completion. Jesus was saying, you've had five husbands. You're with a sixth. You're with a sixth man. But I'm the completed, I'm the, I'm, I'm the restoration of marriage for you. And I just believe that this is a, a, probably a Glory City family chat message. But if you're watching you can take it as well, but um, is that we are going to go on a, on a trajectory of love, of learning to abide in the one that is love, that God is love and in him he's no fear. There's no fear of being um, something happening to you. There's no fear of, of oh, what if this takes place. There's no fear of, well, I lost my job or whatever. It's like, oh, the circumstances around me don't determine who I am or my outcome in life because in perfect love casts out all fear and I'm a child of God and as he is so am I to the world right and I, I just believe that if if as the body if we stop trying to produce the clanging symbols not so we stop doing those things but we actually learn to abide in the head who is Christ, the body will come into alignment with the head and then the world will want the body. The world will want his body. Why? Because Jesus was known as a friend of sinners.
and he didn't do that by he didn't do that by just producing the fruit he did that out of abiding in his father and learning and not just learning but becoming love to the world around us and i believe you and i have been called to do the same we've been called to actually become love so when we walk out our door we don't have to try and put on love we actually have become love it's not something we're putting on it's not something that we you know i know that verse says put on love you know i, I get that but when we put it on it's like we we put it on and then we it, it's like we mesh into it we become it and we're one with the father and the father's one with us and his words abide in us and we abide in him and it's this beautiful relationship and then someone offends us you know out in the world and we're like we just want to love them we're just like oh man they don't know who they are and they're like, they abuse us and they accuse us and they ridicule us. And they're like, hey, you think differently than I do. And rah, rah, rah. And you're just like, oh, man, I love you. <laughs> that, that to me is heaping coals on someone's head in the right way. Yeah. And they're like, oh, I don't agree with you. Oh, you're a Christian. And how can you say that there's only one way to God? And you're like, oh, you just don't know who your father is. You don't change the subject. You don't, you do, love isn't like, I agree with everything that you're saying and doing, but it's like, hey, I love you. I accept you because you're created in God's image and I want to show you a different way. That's love. Uh, that's, we're done. We're going to stop there. I've got a lot more notes and a lot more. This is going to be, a, I think, a few part series. We're going to go back to Ephesians um, at 2 at some point. I'm going to unpack those things, but let me pray and and, and we'll, we'll close it up there. So, Father, I just, I just thank you that you would, your spirit is dwelling in our mortal bodies and that you would reveal to us that we would be rooted and grounded in love, that we would mature, like it says in Corinthians, that we would not reason like a child any longer and we would reason like mature men and women of God. And I just declare that the world has not seen anything yet, that the bride of Christ is arising and shining its love. That, we, that, that John 13, 34, that we'd be known by our love because of the way we love one another. Yeah. That, that we would learn to do this thing called love regardless of disagreements and different opinions and different thoughts, that we would learn to have this Oh, this unquenchable love, that love never fails, that love covers a multitude of wrong, that love doesn't seek its own agenda, that there wouldn't be suspicion or jealousy or strife or envy or bitterness or anger, that the love of God and the love of people would flow out of us, that we would abide in the vine, we would abide in the branch, we would abide in the tree of life. And as we abide in him, we naturally produce fruit that we would see miracles, we would see signs and wonders, we would have people praying in tongues, we would have all the things mentioned in 1 Corinthians and, and it would come out of, a, out of an overflow of love, that there'd be a love of generosity, there would be a love of, of, of fruitful giving, there'd be a love of, of, of not just to the church, but to the world. That we abide in him and out of intimacy, 
we naturally produce healthy children. <laughs> Jesus' name. Amen.